thankfully the world has customer success platforms now uh, that goes beyond the CRM that really is able to pull in customer usage data. And then the CSM can be more proactive with that data. So if you set up a customer success platform correctly, they should be able to come to work in the morning and look at their book of business and see where's a client read, who needs uh, a touch point, and they can trigger, for example, sequences. The CSM can be more proactive with data thanks to these platforms. Otherwise, if you're in a CRM and you're not able to identify what your customers are doing, when you get on the call, there's less to talk about that's actually helpful for the customers. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Emilia Danzica, who is the founder and managing director of Growth Molecules, a management consulting firm. The company's mission is to help organizations increase profit while maximizing value to customers. Emilia is on several advisory boards globally and an active contributor to the Forbes Business Council. As an early employee at several successful companies, Emilia amassed more than 20 years of experience in roles, including VP of Customer Engagement at WalkMe. She is recognized as a top 25 customer success influencer. Emilia lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her partner and three children. She's an active volunteer at public schools and a mother to multiple farm animals. She is also the co-author of Pressing On as a Tech Mom, which comes out next month in April 2022. So, Emilia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Paris. I'd like to start with your book, which is coming out next month. And did I get the title correct? Is it Pressing On as a Tech Mom? Yes, that's right. Okay, so you're a tech mom. What does it mean to press on? Yeah, it, it means to not give up. And at the same time, making sure that you put, you set the boundaries for yourself so that you don't burn out, so that you can be present for your children. We interviewed over 300 women, and we featured 12 of them in the book and some of the stats that we found through the surveys. And so many of us struggle with burnout, with not setting boundaries, and then it impacts us often to the point where we may want to give up or leave technology. And so our book highlights some women who went through this experience and some who decided to leave tech altogether and the others who, who stayed. So that's why we selected this title. That sounds exciting. Well, good luck with the launch next month. Thank you. We just asked several people for endorsements and it was so touching to read some of the endorsements from the men, all VCs or CEOs and their recognition of the importance of mothers in technology because we represent the buyer as well. It's not just men. So 
really excited to get this book out. Let's talk about customer success. And this is a topic where you are one of the world's leading and foremost influencers. So what is the definition of a customer success manager and how is that role changing now, especially for uh, SaaS companies? Yeah, so when I started in SaaS as a customer success manager, I don't even know if the term existed yet. It was with Walk with Jobvite. I was the ninth employee. And a customer success manager was essentially a jack of all trades the moment the opportunity is closed in your CRM. So I was doing everything from support to candidate imports to customer success and many other things. So uh, the role has changed dramatically now. We have onboarding managers, trainers, support managers, account managers who do the renewals and expansion. And the customer success manager increasingly is focused on leading customers to find impact or value from a product and to adopt the product. So that is increasingly the role of a customer success manager. Depending on the maturity of your company will determine how focused that role is. So an earlier startup may still have the CSM doing everything, but as the company matures, the client matures, then the customer success manager's scope becomes smaller, but with more focus. Mm -hmm. What are some of the primary KPIs today of a CSM in a SaaS company? Yeah, I, I think it should be everyone's KPI, but net retention rate. I think that's has to be number one, making sure that the client renews, that you're looking for, re for ways to upsell and cross-sell. Uh, I think that's really important. Unfortunately, according to LinkedIn, only 9% of companies teach their employees how to multi-thread. So ask the right questions, look for opportunities to expand a relationship with the client. I'm on a mission to change that. And so I, I believe that has to be number one, net retention rate. And then other things that are maybe more lagging indicators, but very important as well is net promoter score. Does the client use your product and say good things about them? Would they recommend them to a colleague or friend? And then from a support experience, a CSAT, customer satisfaction, did the issue get resolved or not? Because if they didn't resolve it, why are you closing the ticket? They're probably unhappy. They're going to keep calling or more likely they're going to search for a new product. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Can you describe a little bit the role of data now in a CSM's job and in particular how CSMs are using data to help them focus on the right accounts that might either be at risk or might have high potential for upsell? Yeah. So thankfully, the world has customer success platforms now uh, that goes beyond the CRM that really is able to pull in customer usage data. And then the CSM can be more proactive with that data. So if you set up a customer success platform correctly, they should be able to come to work in the morning and look at their book of business and see where's a client read who needs uh, a touch point, and they can trigger, for example, sequences. Thankfully, there's so many products out there that will help you set those up, but really 
the CSM can be more proactive with data thanks to these platforms. Otherwise, if you're in a CRM and you're not able to identify what your customers are doing, when you get on the call, there's less to talk about that's actually helpful for the customer. So really important, once your company reaches a certain size, that you're enabling your CSMs to make data-driven decisions before they decide who do they call. Is it just because they're up for renewal that you're calling them a month before? That's too late. You need to be looking at how they're using the product much earlier. Now I want to pivot over to acquisition because a lot of what we talk about here on this show has to do with the secret tactics and strategies for the greatest, latest and greatest ways to acquire new customers through some new channels or through otherwise. I want to talk about the connection between uh, the marketing acquisition channel and then the experience of the customer success manager. I generally think about three major, three major channels when it comes to uh, especially SaaS user acquisition. You have paid, which is the paid media. That's usually Google ads and Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads. You have organic, which is everything, really the, everything driven by the, the brand assets, uh, such as the blog posts, the videos, but that's all coming through non-directly paid through media. And then you have a virality, which is really for the best products, it's inherent, it's baked into the product itself, which is making it very easy for people uh, to share this product with colleagues and to, um, to make it viral. So my question here is, does the customer success experience get harder or easier if it's, uh, if it's paid media, if it's organic, if it's viral, even if you think about inbound acquired versus outbound acquired, customers are coming in through very different pathways. Now, how does that all impact the customer success experience? And does a customer success manager secretly hope that their portfolio or their book of accounts is going to predominantly come from one type of channel? Yeah, that was a long, long question. I know. Sorry. No, I love it. That's a really good question. I, no one's ever asked me that before. I think it depends on the product. So are you talking about something simple like Grammarly or Calendly that's very simple, definitely product-led products where you never talk to, you don't have to talk to anyone to figure out how to use it? Or is it something very complex like a data platform that takes training, et cetera? I think what's more important than the source is the, the handoff from sales to customer success is that CSM enabled with the right information to have an intelligent kickoff conversation. Because the last thing a customer wants to do in a more complex SaaS model is repeat themselves, especially if they've been going through the sales process for six months. Now to have to go reshare everything they've been sharing with their salesperson can instantly turn them off. And the way our minds work, we have a bad, we are left with a bad taste if something like that happens. It's very hard to overcome it. Your mind automatically goes back to that first poor experience and you have this wariness about continuing the relationship. So that's the first thing. The second thing is your buyer's not always the same person who may be using the product. So you might have seen an ad for something and clicked on it 
and forwarded it to someone. And then they may not have even clicked on that link, but recall it later and just Google it. And so it doesn't, I don't know if it really matters where they come from. I think what matters is the marketing experience through sales and then setting them up for success with the information they need as a customer success manager so that they can appropriately enable the, the client. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, so if there are, there's the other side of, there's also another motion, which is product-led growth. This is not an acquisition channel, but it's a growth strategy. You mentioned the, the continuity between marketing, sales, and customer success. What if we take sales out of that chain and we assume that this is a product-led growth, a pure product-led growth motion? Forget about the acquisition channel, but customer comes in, initiates a free trial, or maybe signs up for a freemium plan and starts to use the product with a zero sales touch experience. And for whatever reason, either the usage signals or, or maybe the size or importance of that company sets off some sort of an alert that a customer success manager needs to start paying attention to that account. Um, how is that different? What is the experience of a CSM like when they are the first human being that that, new, that, that customer sees representing the brand versus Maybe the third, if you think about an SDR who does a prospect or a qualification call, handing it off to an AE who does a closing call, and then only then the, the CSM is the third person introduced. So this, in this case, product-led growth, CSM could be the first face of the brand. How does that make that different? And what are some ways that a CSM can succeed in that scenario? Yes. So you have to enable your CS team. What that means is giving them access to the data of the customer usage so far. The perfect example I love to share is HubSpot. Before you can use their product for free, they take you through like five questions. What is your role? What do you plan to use the product for, et cetera, et cetera. And then no one is bothering you per se to purchase the product. I can go to the website and see exactly how much it is and what do I get if I want more of the paid features. And then when I did purchase the product for my own company, I didn't have a choice but to go through onboarding with their company or a third party, which we ended up selecting. Uh, but they had all the information about why were we using it? How long were we using it? How many people were logged in? All of this information so that when we did start the onboarding process, they knew enough about me to be able to ask questions instead of things that they should have already known in the past. So it's really important to enable your CSMs with the right data. And really, there's zero excuse for not getting them that data because I mean, there's just so much technology to enable um, these days. Why would you waste your CSM's time trying to find all this information in 10 different systems versus aggregating it in one? Mm -hmm. And can let's think about what are the triggers that a CSM would step in, in which scenarios. I imagine one scenario would be that well, we have a self-serve self prospect that came in from, uh, I don't know, Salesforce, a, a massive company. So we have an opportunity for a really uh, land and expand approach here. Or it could also be that we have a user that is an absolute champion. Uh, they're, they're logging in 
15 times a day. They're using every single feature. And just the activity level alone justifies that we need to try to meet this person. Am I right about those two? And are there other signals or maybe just other types of data that we can get from third-party enrichment that would set off that flag to a CSM that says, hey, we need to pay attention to this account? Yeah, absolutely. So you nailed it when it comes to things like logo opportunities for expansion, absolutely important. The other one I would say is key motions. So product-led companies should know the one to three key moments in a customer's life that shows value or adoption of a product, whether it's uh, creating a report, downloading some particular information, um, sharing a report, those kind of things that matter, not just simply logging in, but actually doing something with the data. So once you know those three key motions, your CSMs can use that information. If suddenly, for example, they invited 10 people, well, that can be a key moment that maybe this company's growing, maybe they are interested in something else. Or um, I always encourage CSMs with your book of business, connect with everyone on LinkedIn so you can see if they're leaving, going, um, if the company is getting acquired, if the company raised money. Those are key moments that give you an opportunity to call the client with, with actual like data that's relevant instead of just a cold call. So I think those are some of the things I always say, go back to the key moments. Your product team must know what are those moments that really drive adoption or expansion with the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the best ways to break down silos in an organization is to get creative with compensation. Have you seen any creative compensation plans where sales and CSMs are both uh, sharing commission in some sort of way uh, or really incentivized through commission and through compensation to help each other be successful? Well, I believe everyone at your company should be compensated for KPIs. So not just sales and customer success, but marketing and everyone else so that you have a common mission. And then every quarter you can look at those KPIs as an organization and celebrate or go deep on understand why did we miss the target? And so having a part of your salary be based on things like uh, net retention rate, I think is number one. Secondly, I've seen, well, and I've done this myself, is put people in pods so that you're working in groups uh, towards or around particular customer accounts, for example, and then incentivizing them that way as groups. So you never want one of your colleagues to fall or do poorly because it impacts your compensation as well. And so you're working more cohesively to expand customer accounts. Um, I just think of WalkMe when I spent three plus years there, you sell the product to one department in Amazon or T-Mobile or whatever, one of these large companies. That's just the beginning. If you can work together as a team to start building relationships, multi-threading, which I talked about earlier, at, to expand that customer account, that can lead to so many opportunities for you as a team. And so that's why I love the pod element, like putting people in groups to work together towards 
uh, shared KPIs. Mm -hmm. I really do like the pod concept, and I think that's applicable to, to other types of businesses as well, but certainly SaaS businesses. What are some of the best ways to organize a pod? Would that be aligned by, let's say, the size of a company? Could it be aligned by the company's primary industry or sector? Or are there other ways of organizing a pod around a common denominator of that cluster of clients? Yeah, I think what's really important is your expertise. So using the Walk Me example, if you're going to create a pod around Workday or Salesforce or wherever WalkMe is going to live, you need to educate that team, sales and customer success, how the customer purchased that product and why. So if you don't know anything about Salesforce and you put a bunch of people on customer accounts that have purchased the product for Salesforce, you're setting them up to fail. You need to make sure that they can speak intelligently. Or if you're working with engineers, you need to make sure you have people who are customer success managers that can speak the same language. Otherwise, the chances of getting in front of the economic decision maker are pretty low. You're not going to have good conversations or build relationships with these customers if you don't speak their language, essentially. Yeah. Also, decision makers versus users. We talked about this a little bit also in the pre-show, which is that oftentimes... The end user does need to get their hands on the product, but often they're not the decision maker who's going to be, who has budget, who's going to write the check. So who does a customer success manager primarily serve or, or do they serve both? And how do they balance the different needs of a user versus a budget wielding decision maker? Yeah, I, I love this question because our company builds personas for clients and so What's really important is one, to understand that the personas are different than marketing. Often the marketing personas are primarily targeting the buyer. And when you think about the user, yes, they will be different because they're going to be living in the product, hopefully day in and day out to do their function. And so you want to think about those people as the hero of the story. You want to make sure they look like a hero to their boss they're getting impact from your product and they're adopting it. So that's the first thing. Your decision maker should be there or economic buyer, whatever you want to call them, especially at the kickoff. When I was at Bright Edge, we canceled the kickoff meeting if the decision maker wasn't there. Because if they weren't there, you may not know the primary reason that they're purchasing the product. And then if you go and implement it in a way that doesn't show that decision maker impact or value, you've basically wasted everyone's time and set them up for churn instead of growth. So I think it's important that they're at the kickoff, they're at executive business reviews, they're getting surveys, you're having touch points with them. They'll be at a business level versus a more tactical with the day-to-day -day user. So you want to make sure you use the time wisely and Ask for 30 minutes, not 90, because the chances of you getting that person for that long are, are quite slim. Yeah, I love that. So if, if the decision maker, the economic buyer can't make the kickoff call, then you you reschedule. Yeah. Wait, you insist was on them being there. Yeah, I right. like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think these people are, well, of course, they tend to be much busier and they probably want to see relatively quickly 
some justification for the investment that they just made, and they probably don't have nearly the technical knowledge or depth that the end user has. But oftentimes they will form opinions very quickly and on that kickoff call. Right. I We even do this as a consulting firm. So on Friday, we kicked off with the decision maker. We've been working with this company for three months until they finally said, okay, we have the resources and the budget to move forward with this project. So we had a pre-meeting with the decision maker so he could introduce us to his team of people that would be working with us. And then that that served as the pre-call. And then on Wednesday, we're going to do a formal kickoff. And he said, look, I don't need to be there. This is enough. I'm not going to join you, but please keep me CC'd on everything. And I love that too, right? We had a mini kickoff for 30 minutes. Now we can have a deeper, more tactical one later. That's more of the implementation. Mm-hmm. Great. So I want to pivot entirely now, and I want to talk about growth molecules and your own marketing. I think you're doing something similar to what we're doing. You have a consultancy service company brand, and then you have another brand, which is focused on really editorial content, which is the simplifying success, customer success, simplifying CS show. I, I'm doing the same thing, but Paris Talks Marketing and then Hop Online is the agency. How are you balancing these things? And is it working to have two brands that are supporting each other? Are you able to, are you able to move prospects from educating them with the show and then moving them into real prospects for the consulting business? Yeah, I, I believe and uh, I believe in this, these two words so much, helping sales. So if you're able to help or educate your future customers, they're more likely to trust you. And I believe regardless of what you do, you have to be passionate about it. So I I love customer success. I love the customer experience. I grew up in a family where we served pizza. So we were constantly surrounded by customers and people. And I think that's the number one thing is you have to be passionate about whatever it is you're doing. Uh, the marketing, I like to have fun with it. I like to make sure that it represents all of our customers. If you go and look at our Instagram or Twitter page or any of our social media outlets, you'll see that it is constantly showing different people with different backgrounds and in different um, journeys through the customer experience. And I think that's really important. And so that's why... I started with, well, let's do something like simplifying CS because a lot of people don't understand it. My parents, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. They still don't understand it. So (laughs) I think that's what's really important is if you come across as salesy, people aren't stupid. They're going to run. If you come across as I want to help you be successful, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah. Well, now I'm dying to ask this question. How do you describe CS to your parents who have a hard time understanding it? What's the simplest way in the world to describe it? Yeah, I think it's customer success in the simplest way to describe it is continuous impact. That's probably the best thing. You buy a product once. If you have impact from it and a positive experience, you'll go back. And the perfect example is Amazon. 
the first time you buy something, they're like free shipping. And if you spend $25, you think that's the last purchase you'll ever make with Amazon? No, they created a lifelong customer. I mean, I have boxes every single day arriving at my house. Um, not, not because I probably need it or my children need it. They just, they've set it up so in such a simple way that you just keep going back. The convenience, ease of use, those kind of things, I think is really important when you're thinking about what is customer success, it's continuous impact and ease. I think you mentioned earlier that there was a brand um, or you gave an example of a particular tool that uh, that plugged in some way to Salesforce. And you said if the CSM also doesn't know Salesforce pretty well, then you, you know that you're, it's not going to be a great experience. How is that CSM? I mean, what are some of the challenges when you're a CSM for a product which is integrating on top of a platform? Let's say it's HubSpot or Salesforce or I don't know, maybe Facebook or Shopify. But um, how important is it to also know the broader, the ins and outs of the broader platform as well as your own tool? Yeah, we do a lot of assessments for companies before we build their playbooks. And so as part of the assessment, we send out a survey to all of the CSMs and sometimes sales marketing depends on what the playbook is about. And one of the key takeaways I'm always floored by is the CSMs don't feel enabled with product knowledge. So they're expected, they go through this boot camp for a week on the product, how to use it. They're not even taught how to be a CSM. That's why my company has a lot of work. They, they hire us when they realize the customer success managers are struggling, but they fail to keep industry trends, education on the product up to date for their CSMs. And then the CSMs feel low morale, not enabled to be able to help their customers the way they should. And these surveys often tell us that, and we have to go back to our decision maker and say, look, you hired us to create a playbook to enable the customer success managers through onboarding or seamless handoffs or adoption or a renewal play, but we can't teach them your product. You actually have to do that. And it's not a one-time thing uh, at the RKO twice a year. It's you need to be doing this continuously. So I would say that's really important if you want to enable your customer success managers to be successful is educate them. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, Emilia, this has been great. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you were hoping that I would ask, or is there anything else that you would like to, to share with our audience? Yeah, well, I'm so excited that people are traveling again and that people are coming together for um, events. I just was in Brazil. I spoke at a conference in Floripa to a group of sales executives. That was really exciting to educate them on customer success. But come June, I'm going to be in Montpellier at B2B Rocks speaking about customer success. So I hope to see your audience at that event, June 9th to 11th. That's great. And just to be clear here, your book, Pressing On as a Tech Mom, is launching next month. And where can people grab a copy of that? Yeah, it will be on Amazon. We're going to do a launch um, party around it. It'll be 99 cents for the first while. We want to get in 
into as many hands as possible. And this book is uplifting. It's to get not only women excited about staying in technology, but for our counter, our, the men in the room, in the audience, to help them understand and make them feel good about investing in moms uh, in technology. That sounds wonderful. Good luck with that launch. Good luck with your with the events coming up in June. I'm also going to be speaking in July, and it'll be the first time I'm actually on a live stage in, in at least a couple of years. And it's very exciting that the world is coming back to live events. I also miss them. Uh, I was uh, reminiscing that last event that I attended was SASDOC in Dublin, Ireland, which was in 2019. And it feels like ages ago, but oh, that's exciting that that's coming back. And I wish you good luck at that event. Likewise. And thank you for having me on your show, Paris. Sure, Amelia. Well, thank you very much. And everybody go grab the book. And Amelia, where can they find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me. It's just my name, Amelia at growthmolecules.com. Excellent. Well, thanks for the great conversation, Amelia. And looking forward to staying in touch. Likewise. Thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.